Hey everyone, welcome back to the Theater and Apologetics. I'm glad you joined us today. Today I'm joined by Tim Howard from Invoking Theism. We're going to be looking at Apologia's video on the Kalam. Um, what's up, Tim? What's up, man? Awesome. If you know this channel, you know Tim. Um, great YouTube channel over at Invoking Theism. Um, we're going to be looking at this video. Do you have anything you want to say before we just get right into this, Tim? Um, just want to say, like, you know, um, we're not kind of, you know, our focus here isn't really just to be tribal, um, but to kind of I guess I see it in a way of kind of raising the philosophical bar by kind of um, mm -hmm. going into um, certain videos. People are going to kind of stumble along certain videos um, on YouTube. And I kind of want to, in our response to uh, these kinds of critiques, I kind of want to show like kind of where this current thought and where the current thinking is at and not to, to humiliate Paul or anything like that, but to kind of just... Um, kind of give our critiques and show that, hey, you know, maybe we can have a kind of higher standard reasoning here and maybe see things at certain angles that other people might not see if they stumble across this particular video, so. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I mean, I feel the same way as you, like, it's, like, we're responding to Paul, but it's not, like, really us versus Paul. It's just trying to, like, build ideas and gain closer to truth. At least that's the way I see it. Um, exactly. But yeah, you ready, you ready to get this thing rolling? Mm -hmm. All right, let's do it. Um, for you listening, we're just going to play clips and do this. Does God exist? Or is the material universe all that is, or ever was, or ever will be? Are those the only two options? I mean, I'll just pause very briefly, but I mean, that is a little fair because it almost is a little bit of a false dilemma. I mean, I don't know if like very like outside of a mind of like the laws of logic that could cause anything. Um, but I don't know. It's a fair point that it was just really interesting to be brought up briefly. Do you have any ideas, Tim? I mean, yeah, I mean, I mean, it, it goes to say. I mean, maybe even without saying that this this video in particular, this is like a video that you would play at church. Mm -hmm. Like this isn't really something that is that is supposed to be that representative of what's in the literature. Um, mm -hmm. I feel like this is kind of what it is. And so I'm not surprised that, you know, only gave those two options and things of that sort. It's not really that nuanced, but um, yeah yeah no i get that because it, it is like this william lane craig video is literally a five minute like if you've never heard of kalam here you go yeah. um that's kind of the intention this, behind it and this is specifically on like just the science data it's not even like it doesn't even have the philosophical arguments in this one so it's not even the whole package of uh, mm -hmm. kalam yeah yeah but we'll just keep going one approach to answering this question is the cosmological argument. But unfortunately, it's not a very good one. Admittedly, there's no shortage of videos about the Kalam cosmological argument. The Kalam cosmological argument. The Kalam argument. The Kalam cosmological, the Kalam cosmological argument. argument. And the reasons why it doesn't work as intended. But it seems nearly every day a Christian brings it up to me in comments or social media or even in person. And in the famous words of Inigo Montoya, I don't think it means what you think it means. Since my viewers have asked me to cover more William Lane Craig, and he's the man responsible for its current popularity, let's take a look at the version from Craig's Reasonable Faith Ministry. It goes like this. Whatever begins to exist has a cause. We pause the it. universe began to exist. Therefore... Yeah. What's up, Tim? They want him to cover more Wimbledon Craig, but he he doesn't go to the Blackwell Companion article, like essay. Mm. He doesn't like go through like what's presented in like reasonable faith or whatever. He goes through like this 
like this video you'd play at like a church bro <laughs> like mm -hmm. i just kind of find that funny like he's like okay he's like do you want me to interact with more with william and craig i'm gonna go find like a like the most basic presentation on the clum you could possibly find um mm -hmm. i just I, I don't know it's just kind of interesting to me like that's kind of what i mean by like raise the bar like like and people are gonna get the wrong idea like this is the clum like this is like this is the entire clum apparently this mm -hmm. is william Lane craig like i don't know man that 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 um i feel like that's a weakness in this critique of his yeah he definitely doesn't go with like the strongest um version of the Kalam that you could look at though like i mean paul isn't like going through like book in his response video he's not going through books so he's trying to find a youtube video um so i do understand that a little bit but i mean in terms of like getting an actual defense of the Kalam, um probably going to like a five minute youtube video is probably not the best move but i mean even that even that being said he makes up some interesting points that we can kind of go into here as we keep on going therefore the universe has a cause. The first thing worth noting is that this is the entire argument, and yet the word God appears nowhere for the sake. Yeah, this is the one thing um, that I was a little bit frustrated listening to with this video, um, because like I understand responding to like a short video, and like we're literally responding to a nine-minute video on the Quran by Paul. Um, but like you know, if you've like listened to Craig's debates or read anything that he's written on the Quran, he does give further argumentation for going from the universe as a cause to God. Like this isn't like the end of the story. Well, yeah, I mean, it's if if people are are familiar with Craig's formulation of the argument, I mean, even going just down to a more fundamental level, like cosmological arguments have um, what's referred to in literature as like two stages, mm -hmm. and every uh, cosmological argument is going to have a stage one, which uh, which shows that there is some feature of reality that requires an explanation or cause, and then stage two is showing like why that like what is the then what are the features of the cause and so craig doesn't mention god syllogistically um but when he is um going through conceptual analysis or um bridging the gap from the cause to what he would call god or a divine cause um he spells that all out but it's not in the premises themselves i mean you could even if you wanted to you could say like um Whatever begins to exist as a cause, the universe began to exist. The universe has a has a cause. Uh, no, instead of the universe has a cause, like then this cause is like what we would call God or something like that. You could add that mm -hmm. little last clause there if you want. It's not in the argument syllogistically, but I mean, no cosmological argument doesn't deal with a stage two. So I feel like just from the nature of cosmological arguments, um, this isn't this is not tr like trivial. You know, mm -hmm. yeah, I mm -hmm. and I, th I think it is very fair. Like you talk about like Andrew Loki's book that you had like for reference as well. Like there's a lot of work here on how we get from the universe having a cause to God. It's not like um, theists are like, oh, the universe has a cause. Oh, God, no argumentation needed. Um, yeah, that's not how that works. Uh, we'll keep on. For the sake of discussion, I could accept the entire thing as is, and all we would have to agree to is that there was a sufficient cause for the universe. To make the leap that this causes a deity is entirely outside of the scope of the cosmological argument and does not follow from the premises. Let's say I feel like we already talked about this. Um, yeah. But yeah. Someone emerged from a crowd to lay claim to the throne based on their royal lineage. Prove that you are the son of the king. Every human who was born has parents. This is true. I was born. Also true. Therefore, I have parents. But that doesn't mean your father was the king. Nonsense. Hand me the crown. So even if the Kalam succeeds, it ultimately fails. But still, let's let Craig take a closer look. And the only thing I'd say is, 
like just on like just watching this YouTube video, you could get that per- impression of the Kalam or like cosmological arguments that there's no argumentation from necessarily being the God, but like you just have to look at further like cosmological arguments and like just read Craig's work or something, and you could uh, you can see the connection from first cause to God. Yeah, I'm I'm just kind of wondering like what would happen if someone in conversation like someone watches this video and he goes out and he meets a Christian, like he meets and he meets a Christian who's familiar, and um and then just says, uh this argument isn't about God. Mm. Like, what is that supposed to do then? Like, where do we go from there dialectically? Um, mm-hmm. Are we, is it, are we, is it a, is it just a conversation stopper or like what happens when the person, like someone like me says, um, it's not in the actual premises themselves, but what it means to be a cause is you have to have the cause of the universe. You have to have these particular features. And that's what, what we do in stage two of the argument. And he spells it out. Um, I feel like someone might take away from this video that all they really need to do is point out that the argument isn't about God and then they don't have to really think about it any further. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so I, I feel like, you know, encouraging people to like pursue truth and, and to sharpen their reasoning skills and things to look into the actual literature and, and, and look into what the, um, what the main defenders of the argument are saying and then what their, uh, what the actual um, uh, critiques of those um, presentations are, um, and not simply something that wouldn't allow for further conversation or dialogue to take place. So someone, someone like Oppie, someone like Morrison, someone like Smith, uh, Quentin Smith, um, all have really good critiques of Craig's argument um, that allows you to have further discussion and to talk about other things um, and it's just a really good way to kind of really get yourself into some rigorous philosophy. So, yeah, I mean, I would agree with Paul that there's a gap problem from first cause to God, but then there's also been work on the gap problem, which um, right. I don't know if he really addresses that here. Is the first premise true? Let's consider. Believing that something can pop into existence without a cause is more of a stretch than believing in magic. At least with magic, you've got a hat and a magician. Did Craig just admit that a good analogy for God would be a magician? Interesting. If we're going to evaluate the truth of the first premise, we might first consider defining terms. What does it mean to begin to exist? For example, when does a chair begin to exist? Is it when the plans are drawn up? When the wood is cut? When the pieces are assembled? The first time someone sits on it? In fact, perhaps we would be better off reworking the entire argument. Premise 1. Everything that begins to exist is a rearrangement of things that already exist. Premise 2. The universe began to exist. Conclusion. The universe is a rearrangement of things that already exist. That is. What do you think uh, of Paul's yeah. uh, version of the column here? I mean, it... it, it I feel like there's a common theme here. If you just read the literature and Craig defines exactly what begins to exist means um, in Locke's new uh, no- novel Kalam argument, he defines what beginning begin to exist means. I wrote them both down. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to address that. And then I want to address this argument. So Craig's definition of begin to exist is X begins to exist. If, and only if X exists at T1, and two, T is either the first time in which X exists or separated from any time T less than T by a non-degenerate temporal interval. And three, X is existing at T1 is a tensed fact. Locke's definition is um, more cons- uh, is simpler than that one. It is one, X exists at T and the actual world includes no states of affairs in which X exists timelessly. And two, T is either the first time at which X exists or is separated from any time 
less than t at which x exists by an interval during which x does not exist. So um, definition from Craig, definition from Locke. Um, if you read um, Coons and Proust, because they have their own formulations of the clomp too, they define what it means to begin to exist. So this is not a mystery. And that's the problem here, which is I'm, I'm afraid of what the impression people, lay people are going to get from watching this video. They're going to go out and, and think that this has never, ever been discussed when it means to begin to exist. Now, specifically, this argument about things are rearrangements is not a blow to the Kalam at all because it assumes that it's a common argument that they think that begins to exist only means ex nihilo, from nothing. And Locke points out that beginning to exist, you have beginning to exist simpliciter, which is a, a state of affair, uh, uh, something, um, there was once nothing and then there was something. And then you have beginning to exist from a previous state of affairs, which is what we are all, which is what he's talking about. So um, when you cut down a tree and you make furniture, like he's talking about, um, uh, you are transitioning from one from a from a, a previous state of affairs to a new state of affairs. The state of affairs being that you had the tree, um, and it was still its roots were still in the ground and everything. To that tree being cut down um, and then cultivated into a chair, uh, and a chair is a completely new state of uh, state of affairs. So, but that still constitutes its beginning to exist. Um, and so it also has some underlying metaphysical assumptions, such as views of composition, such as um, that there are no composite objects, which would be myriological nihil nihilism, um, and that there are no composite objects, there are just things arranged objects-wise. So I have a cup, a blender bottle here, right? Um, the blender bottle doesn't actually exist, it's just things arranged blender bottle-wise. Hmm. So they would say that the universe, um, things are arranged universe-wise, but there's no such thing as the universe as an object or as a whole. So um, there's a lot of assumptions being made here. Um, and I would like, you know, if I were to have a conversation with someone, I'd ask, okay, why do you have this particular view of myriology? Why do you have this particular view of begins to exist? It's very restrictive. Um, so it does no damage to the argument. Mm. If like if policy is true, would it lead then to like the fall of say something like I don't exist then because then there would nothing be like in my own existence that's unique to me. I'd just be a re just com completely be a rearrange a rearrangement of previously existing things. Do you think that would follow from what Paul's saying? Sorry, say that again. I said um if Paul like if Paul if Paul's right here, would it follow then like then we'd have to like deny our own existences because like then like someone like me, uh, if there's nothing new about me, then I'm just a rearrangement of all like pre-existing things. Um, I'm just wondering yeah. if that would follow from this kind of skepticism. Yeah, there wouldn't be people. There would just be like particles in different arrangements. Mm -hmm. So you'd have like the simples, and then the simples just take different arrangements. Um, and um, so there is no such thing as like people, right? It's just particles arranged what we think is people wise. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The, the only other thing I thought about with like with Paul's kind of like everything that begins to exist, just a rearrangement of things that already exist. Like 
the amount of commitment he has to make here is vast. Um, like if you're going to say that everything that exists is just like, like almost like pre-existed, like it always existed. It almost sounds like, and if I'm wrong, I'm sorry, Paul. Um, like there's like 10 to the 80th number of atoms out there. And like, that's like a hundred gazillion quadrillion, um, the center of a number of atoms, but like in Paul's view, then there couldn't have been one more and there couldn't have been one less. And like all these atoms have like particular like size and shape and density and mass, like all these different things. Um, and it seems like a pretty complex hypothesis of the foundation to say all these things exist necessarily. Uh, so that was the only other thing I thought about um, with regards to this little bit. Yeah, no, exactly. Those are good points. That is equally as valid as the Kalam and brings us to the conclusion that our universe came not from nothing, but from something pre-existing, which we'll get to later. As for a cause, well, in order for a cause and effect to have relevance, it's clear that one would need to have time as well. Cause must come temporally before effect. If we try to extend this premise beyond time as we know it, then we'd be in a realm where there might not be causation as we know it. Outside the scope of our universe, we can't know if this premise holds. But what about... What do you okay. think about this, like the causation outside of time thing? Right, the objection to atemporal causation, um, and then the um, he, he's holding to a view of temporal priority in terms of causation. Um, so, yeah. So the interesting thing about that is that's a actually pretty common argument. Um, it's actually been fleshed out um, by other philosophers um, in more in greater detail. But it's not a problem because so Craig's Kalam specifically um, uh, uh, depends on uh, simultaneous causation or causal simultaneity, where um, you can have a, a cause and its effect occur simultaneously. Um, an example would be um, if you put, if you lean two books on one another, um, you have simultaneous causation, which is which is the effect of the books being held up by one another is being caused by them pressing upon one another. It's happening simultaneously. Craig gives the, gives the example of a, um, a like glass ball on a pillow and the depression is being caused by the glass ball on the pillow. Um, and the effect is the depression and the cause is the glass ball, but they are occurring simultaneously. Um, that is how Craig um, looks at God um, actualizing the universe given his particular uh uh philosophy of time and his metaphysics of how god's divine action works so craig would say something like that um god then like enters into time via this simultaneous causation um relation um now even i mean so then you'd have to kind of show that simultaneous causation is incoherent but even if, if even on a temporal causation i have a few notes on that Mm -hmm. um, um, so causation need not require these temporal relations, this temporal priority. Um, and, um, even Craig notes that temporal priority can be treated merely as an accidental generalization of our daily experiences as humans. It's kind of like akin to human beings saying like human beings have always lived on earth, but that wasn't, but that wasn't true until like 1968. And we went to the moon, right? So um, that's, um, uh, yeah, so that's kind of like how Craig looks at it. And then um, even Bruce, philosopher Bruce Reichenbach even says that um, we can treat causation as a conditional or relation of production. So there's, so there are formulations of causation that do not depend on any temporal premise, any temporal language. I think even Nancy Cartwright gives a, um, definition of causation that is um, in terms of probability that 
um, that E causes or brings about an effect and it has a certain probability of E bringing about a current effect. Um, so, or E has a certain probability being brought about as an effect from its cause. So um, there, are, there are different formulations of causation in the literature that, we, that are discussed in philosophy, and this is just metaphysics, um, that do not depend on temporal priority. Mm. Yeah, that's good. Um, and the only thing, it seems like you're saying, like, actually, wait, let's just go to the next bit. I thought, but I think it's in this next section. Um, what about our second premise? Did the universe begin? Or has it always existed? Atheists have typically said that the universe has been here forever. Again, it's important to understand terms. In this case, the difference between universe and cosmos, as they are used in science, since that's where the discussion will be going. The cosmos, as the late, great Carl Sagan put it, The cosmos is all it is, or ever was, or ever will be. Whereas the universe is best defined as the single instantiation of space-time where we live. The universe is part of the cosmos, like a storage unit is part of a storage facility. And we have no way of knowing if we are merely one among many universes, or one in a succession of universes, or maybe the only universe. What's important is that modern cosmologists don't say that the universe has been here forever and is just there and that's all, as Craig asserts. That's how they would describe the cosmos. In science, cosmos and universe are not interchangeable terms. Craig's video goes... What do you think about the cosmos and universe thing? I mean, this is this is non-trivial. We kind of all understand this. Um, Craig specifically um, stipulatively uses it as um, um, space-time and all its constituents or um, space-time and all existing matter. So even if you have a multiverse, those universes have causes. Um, and like, let's say this multiverse is governed by like meta laws, let's say, and things, mm -hmm. and it's gonna have those boundary conditions as well. And, and then so um, it's going to kind of push the beginning of universal universes back a level. And it doesn't really um, get into what, um, what um what shape of what like what, what global shape of reality is being talked about here so i'm um, like let's let's use terms like natural reality here and um are we saying that this is infinite like so are we saying that it's the explanations here are like necessary contingent like contingent contingent like necessary all the way through infinite regress um necessary infinite regress right so you get into these different things and the current state of cosmology, um, um, there are a multiplicity of models that we have, um, and some of them are committed to like an ex nihilo, like like genesis of the universe at the Big Bang, right? Um, mm -hmm. And then some of them um, say that there was in the pre-inflationary pre era, uh, there was pre-existing material in which the universe. Um, um, would have emerged from, but then that leaves out of the question what the origin of the pre-existing material is. And it is an unwarranted step to say that then there would have been no cause of that pre-existing material, let's say, um, because we need quantum cosmology for that. We don't have a working theory of quantum gravity to give us the kind of physics we need to describe that era of the universe, that early universe. Um, that temperature of the universe in its early phases. Um, so we can't really say with any certainty, and it's really just speculation and conjecture on um, what kind of the, your world picture is. Um, so there's nothing you can really rule out that you would have a 
beginningless state of affairs uh, that is um, material. Um, and that's basically what I'm trying to say. Um, so people, even Lawrence Krauss admitted like, yeah, it's most likely, you know, um, you know, given a likelihood uh, formulation of this, that our universe uh, did begin to exist. And it leaves out of the question whether or not our universe was the result of some crunch, some bounce, um, some ekpyrotic brain, like coming together type of thing. Um, even still, it just pushes the beginning of um, the universe back a step because then you have to account for those things too. And so um, that kind of just goes all unaddressed. And so the problem here is that it's, um, it, um, it's dependent on a very speculative physics that we just really don't have to really say anything, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I really like um, Josh's uh, example and like how reason can lead to God. Like thinking about this, like in terms of like the like the necessary like being or whatever it may be, because um, he talks about like having like the big blob of everything, um, and like we can explain everything because um, everything exists within this big blob of everything, and we can explain um, how we got to today like within this big blob of everything. Um, so thinking about kind of like pa Paul, I almost like we might agree. I might agree with Paul in terms of like if he's talking about the cosmos being this big blob of everything that exists. Um, I mean, I'd agree that we can explain everything within this big blob of everything, uh, if you get what I'm saying. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, and there are even other models. Um, there are even other models such as um, like a timelessly existing initial state, um, which is something that either Gramopi would opt in for um, that then, you know, produces um, the universe um, either via quantum fluctuation or something like that. Um, and then, but then what you'd have to do is you would have to look at the science and the, and the, and then the metaphysics and saying, does the science actually support a timeless model? Um, and then can our, our, and then where do our metaphysics land? Um, does it make sense for there, for the, um, for there to be this timeless, uh, timelessly existing, um, initial state? Um, so, um, yeah, that's, Anyway, that's kind of what it is. Yeah, I know. I'm tracking with you. All right, we'll keep on playing here. Leo goes on to appeal to science's acceptance of the Big Bang Theory to establish that the universe had a beginning. As long as Craig sticks to the scientific definition of universe and doesn't pretend that it's the same as the cosmos, then we can skip that part and all just agree. Oh, wait. First, let's consider the second law of thermodynamics. It tells us the universe is slowly running out of usable energy. I'm going to want to talk about the first law of thermodynamics, so it's good that Craig affirms the second law. Carry on. It's quite plausible then that both premises of the argument are true. This means that the conclusion is also true. The universe has a cause. Right. The argument concludes that the universe has a sufficient cause. Still no discussion of God and the video is almost over. And since... Yeah, I mean, I think we, we talked about the gap problem. Um, do you have anything else you want to add at this point, Tim, or do you want to um, keep on going here? Nope, it's good. Awesome. The universe can't cause itself. Its cause must be beyond the space-time universe. So far, so good. It must be spaceless. Whoa, we went over the rails right on the first one. Craig himself describes our universe as the space-time universe. The Big Bang was the start of our universe's local space coordinates, X, Y, and Z, and time, T. But just as a piece of graph paper has its own localized X, Y spatial coordinate system, that piece of paper still exists in the universe's three-dimensional space. The cosmos may well have its own spatial dimensions. It may have many more dimensions than our four, or perhaps it could have even zero dimensions. The point is, there could be any number of sufficient causes for our universe that exist in some semblance of space outside of our version of it. The cause needn't be spaceless. You have any thoughts here, Tim? Yeah, so... The problem with that is um, it kind of just gets into like what it means, like 
like to begin to exist. And I already said that Craig talks about um, space time, all its constituents, space time and all existing matter. Um, that's what he means when he uses the, when he uses the universe. Um, and if, if what we understand as the, um, as space time, and you know, a specific manifold with well-defined, um, geometric properties, etc. Um, then we have to kind of get into like, what would it mean for something to actually begin to exist? What would it mean for something, um, physical for like some of these physical entities to actually begin to exist and require a particular cause? And so I wrote down that, um, we're talking about time and time intervals. We think about T and T could be, um, instance or moments of non-zero finite duration. And this definition of begins to exist works for non-zero moments of time, moments and intervals of time. So as long as you have a finite duration of some physical state's existence, um, then you plausibly can, you can reasonably assume that that's kind of like a, like a, like something in our minds we can see in analyzing causation that that is the type of thing that would require a cause but it's it's going to lack um the particular the cause would have to la would would have to lack the particular properties of said thing that is beginning to exist when it's finite duration so we know that physical things like have like accidental properties right um, mm -hmm. and these accidental properties are going to be like, um, you know, bounded properties, um, uh, finite parameters, arbitrary limits, as you know. Um, and so, um, um, to have a, a, to analyze the cause through conceptual analysis, you're kind of, kind of have to, you're going to kind of have to say something, um, that is not that because then it's, just, that's just going to push it back a level and that's going to require cause. So, um, mm. Yeah. Yeah. It almost seems like to me, it's almost something like the infinite regress idea. Um, where like, you know, like what caused our universe was just another one. And you know, what caused that one, another one all the way down turtles all the way down. Um, or like maybe like the idea of like, well, what caused the universe? Well, it's just the pre-existing matter energy, which I think is something he's going to get into in just a moment. Um, so th that seems like he's, what he's kind of thinking. Here. Right. And that, and that, and that seems like then he would take, um, he would take that there is, um, some past infinite, uh, state of affairs in which um, energy uh, exists. And then um, at some point, energy uh, actualizes a, a new state of affairs in which gives rise to a, a specific space-time manifold. So, Which is a very interesting thing that I'm sure we'll talk about pretty soon here. Timeless? What applied to the three dimensions of space equally applies to the fourth dimension of time. A stopwatch has its own temporal system, but the one pressing the start button still exists in their own temporal system. The cosmos may have its own system of time, or it may exist in such a state that the idea of time is incoherent. We don't yet know what the sufficient cause of the universe was, but it could easily have been temporal. You have any thoughts there, Tim? It just goes back to what I was saying. Yeah. Yeah, I think we're good there. This is getting repetitive, but there's no reason to assert that the cause couldn't have been a material manifestation. Scientists don't think that the Big Bang was from nothing, but rather the expansion of a singularity containing all of our universe's matter and energy. Whatever was happening inside that singularity would certainly have been material as we know it. Earlier, Craig appealed to the second law of thermodynamics. But let's talk about the first law. Energy can be transformed, but it cannot be created nor destroyed. If this law holds, we need not appeal to a god to deal with infinite regress. Our eternal constant is energy.
If energy has always existed, then it follows naturally that any existing universes could be a mere transformation of a part of that energy. This is my personal cosmology, that if something has to exist eternally, that thing is energy. The advantage of choosing energy over positing an eternal god is that we all agree that energy is a real thing. Uncle. Yes, what do you think about uh, um, the energy thing? Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's really interesting because... Um, oh, man, I just lost my thought. Um, oh yeah. So, so saying that energy cannot be created nor destroyed. Um, then he goes, I mean, he, he goes to make a scientific statement, right? That's just um, what we understand in, in thermodynamics and dynamical systems. Right. But then he goes on to make a philosophical claim that, okay, that means that energy is past infinite. Um, and he doesn't give any reason, any, any philosophical support for why he's making that, um, why he's jumping to that conclusion that then energy is then past infinite. And then that is it, that exhaust the totality of reality. Um, and he doesn't give a justification for how you could even have a, a past infinite state of affairs, how that's metaphysically possible. So when you read like someone like Loke's book, he goes through and says, actually, it's not, it's, it's, you cannot have a, um, it's not metaphysically possible for there to be a past infinite state of affairs. Um, um, so that infinite regress that we talked about where causal chains can actually be infinite. Um, so that assumption there and then you have um um so it's not a statement of science this is pretty metaphysical um and then he says that um he has some theoretical i take it theoretical advantages for positing energy over god um and so the issue there is that um it's it's not clear how this vague kind of descriptor energy um, does any of the explanatory heavy lifting that Paul's going to want it to do um, any advantages and explanatory power. So having an increase in uh, posterior uh, probability as well as having a greater prior probability than let's say a theistic posit. Now I don't even, I don't even like using the Kalam argument. I don't use it. I don't even endorse it, but I can see, I, if I ex examine this theoretically and look at the advantages and disadvantages, um, energy seems to be um, too simple of a hypothesis to explain anything. Because um, if he's saying that um, there is something um, that this energy has these properties to bring about a universe, um, there's nothing to really say um, that um, that this that then the universe should have uh, the low entropy conditions it did have in that end of the universe. Um, or that it would have these orderly, simple laws governed by these orderly, simple laws and things of that sort. Um, and that it's inflation would, would be as the, as we have observed it and things of that sort. And also that um, he's going to pretty much take it and bite the bullet as a brute fact, all of the properties of energy. So everything, mm -hmm that we use mathematically to describe and statistically to describe in um, thermodynamics is going to be simply brute. And that's going to be what the system is versus just positing um, a beginningless, uh, uh, sufficiently powerful cause. Um, and that's all. Um, then uh, syntactically in that comparison, um, it seems as though it's going to um, Paul's theory is going to be his personal cosmology is going to have a disadvantage there. So, mm. yeah, I wonder, like, 
there's a lot of things I was thinking about, like as you were talking, and one is like the like the limits idea that we've already touched on with like energy is your foundation. You're gonna have like a particular number of like say like particles or whatnot with a particular like size and mass and shape, like all these things, and like that's a limit. And then another thing that kind of hit me um, is literally just as we we're talking about this today um, is like Paul was just tweeting like God did it is not an explanation of anything. What seems like here like Paul's like okay with saying well energy did it. And there's no further explanation. Like, this is just it, you know, case closed, wrap it up. Da, 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 da. And like, in that sense, like, even like maybe like the existence of God will have an, like an advantage here because people are willing to ask, well, what explains God? Like, if you look at like, I was talking with Chad McIntosh right. about this on the show on Wednesday, like people will say, well, why is it God rather than something else? Um, it seems like there's an advantage here where like the theists are willing to ask like more questions than it seems like Paul does, like in this sense. Yeah. And then there's things like, the other thing that kind of got me is like, well, we all know that energy is a real thing. Um, we don't all know if God's a real thing. Well, what is God? God is a mind, a necessary mind. We all know that minds are real things. Like the surest thing that we know about ourselves is that we have a mind and that we exist. Um, maybe we're in the matrix. Maybe it's an illusion, but we're not wrong about our own mental states and our own existence. So like in that sense, like energy comes after experience. Like ex experience is fundamental and that's what the theist poses. So we could be wrong. I mean, it seems like crazy, but maybe we're wrong. Um, I, I'm not, mm -hmm. I'm not yeah, like saying I'm a solipsist here, but I'm just saying like, it just seems like experience is fundamental. No, it is. Uh, I mean, that's how we apprehend everything. And that's why I'm not a scientific realist, but I'm kind of, a, uh, I'm, I'm more of an, um, um, constructive empiricist in that way. Um, even without that, um, it's, it's difficult to, to see exactly, to assess exactly what Paul's world picture is here. Um, mm -hmm. that is energies ex past infinite existence. Um, is that a brute contingency or is, or is it a necessity? Um, and, um, does it necessarily have to be an infinite regress or does it, or so you, you see what I'm saying? Like you got to work out the world picture here instead of just positing energy. Um, and then you can do the theoretical comparisons then. Um, so, and so you, you get into those things. Um, and, um, so it's, it's just not quite clear exactly like what explanatory heavy lifting is doing, what, what explanatory heavy lifting Paul's view is doing. Um, and then we can't, this isn't really even to see a way, way to assess what worlds or what kinds of worlds, um, Paul's foundation, that being this passive energy, um, uh, would likely produce. So like I, I kind of went into that earlier. Um, I have no idea what worlds are most probable given energy. I have no idea what, um, if energy would exist in simply in that state and would, wouldn't produce any space-time manifold. Um, it's, it's, it's unclear, um, uh, unlike on theism. And, and, and I don't even like, I don't like Craig's model of God. Um, so if I had to use my model of God, then I would say that um, kind of taking the Swinburnian approach that we'd actually have something to allow us to see what worlds are most likely um, uh, because it's given of, of God, God's perfect goodness in conjunction with his person, uh, perfect rationality. So God is simply influenced by the good and his reasons for actualizing what is good. Um, and so God wants to realize what is good. And so then you can kind of assess exactly kind of what kinds of worlds, what worlds uh, God would would actualize. So what kind of things and then you can kind of assess, okay, well, it's ultimately going to depend on the value of the particular universe. So you have universe A, universe B, universe C, and then 
you have universe A, B, C have particular probabilities assigned to them, but the probabilities come um, given their respective values. So if universe C um, is more disorderly than universe B, God is going to ch um, God is going to choose to to actualize universe B because a universe that is has uniform order um, is has more value than a universe with certain pockets of order. Um, and then the rest of the universe is disorderly. And so God's going to want to actualize things of order. And then so then you can kind of see there on this energy hypothesis. I don't know what world this is going to produce mm -hmm. and what their characteristics and the general features are going to be. Um, and that's the issue here. So, mm. yeah, that's good. Um, we'll keep going. Caused. The cause of our universe could easily have been a caused thing. Perhaps our universe was caused by a quantum fluctuation, by the end of a prior universe, by the flapping of wings of a cosmic butterfly. The Kalam argues only for a sufficient cause of our particular universe. If something has to be uncaused, let's go with energy. And unimaginable. Well, I don't know if this is really true about, like, the Kalam arguing specifically for our universe. Like, in this video, they always say about the scientific evidence for our universe. But, like, if you look at, like, Craig's work on the philosophical arguments, he'll show that, like, well, there can't be, like, a past infinite universe. The, fin yeah. the universe has to be finite. It's like, it, there could be, like, universes before this one. There just couldn't be an infinite number of universes. I, right. I, think, I think Craig would agree with that. Right, yeah. There's going to have to be a finite causal history. Um mm -hmm. And so causal change are going to metaphysically have to be finite um, and not infinite. And so then that's going to require there to be a beginningless cause um, with particular characteristics to to actualize um, a uh, those causal state of affairs um, that we perceive as an actual order. Um, and then he just kind of brings up like other alternative like models um, <laughs> yeah. to the Big Bang. And like I said, like, you kind of need quantum cosmology. Not all of these models are made equal. Like you can't just posit a model and, and have it be equal plausible. Um, so he's just kind of throwing out models. Um, and some of these models are outdated. Some of these models have uh, mathematical errors or formulations. I mean, even if he brings up like string theory models, like string theory isn't really physics at this point. It's, it's, it's purely mathematical. It's, it's mm. highly mathematical um, in its formulations. And so, it's not equal plausible or equal reasonable to posit uh, certain these models to get around the uh, finitude of the universe that seems to be uh, given to us by the Big Bang. But that, that doesn't even need to be depend on classical physics. You don't need classical physics. Um, it's kind of an unwarranted step to say that once we have quantum cosmology, then we're going to get it past infinite and past eternal universe. And that doesn't really seem to follow at all. So mm -hmm. let's get imaginably powerful one last time the kalam argues only for a sufficient cause an avalanche can be caused by the slip of a single pebble there's no reason the cause of our universe needs to be anything more than adequate much like god okay the so argument shows that in fact it is quite mm -hmm. the cause needs to have the probability raising resources to explain the effects that we, the characteristics that we see. So if he's saying the cause is going to have to have some feature about it, i.e. power to bring about a universe, right? Um, so not just anything can bring about a universe, right? It's going to have to have some degree of power to bring about a universe, right? And, and I would assume that, that, that to, to, to bring about um, something as vast as our universe um, something as complex as our universe. Um, 
um, its foundation is going to need a, a, a pretty um, a, a um, like considerate amount of power, causal power to do so. Um, th but then we can, you know, you know, you and I, we can we can posit, we can bring in the argument from arbitrary limits and show that um, um, irrelevant differences, all things being equal, that um, that the power would uh, would have no limits. There would be mm -hmm. unbounded power. And things of that sort, but that's not going to look like anything physical because then that's going to uh, lack some kind of accidental property. The argument from limits is such a nice tool. Like it makes like it just it really shows how the theistic hypothesis is so so simple because um, it shaves off all these arbitrary limits. So it's a lot of fun. Quite reasonable to believe that God does exist. All the cosmological argument does is point toward a cause tells us nothing about that cause. When the argument is said and done, we are left asking, what caused the universe? Craig says God, and others more honestly say, we don't know. If you think that... Yeah, so this is the end of the video. This is the last couple of play with Paul. And yeah, I think this is this is very uncharitable towards Craig, because like if you read his work, he's gonna he's not like, well, we don't know, so let's just throw God on there and pack up our bags and go home. Like, that's just... It's just yeah. very uncharitable. As if Craig wants to walk into... A physics meeting and go hey everyone stop working on your models just stop it like i have the answer it's god like like pack up your <laughs> bags and go home it's like no like this is a metaphysical question um mm -hmm. which is we're looking at uh the ontological features of of the universe as craig defines it um and that if it is finite if it's finitude and the whole thing is stacked with finitude then finitude is something, and I'll use Josh's language, finitude is something that we can call a contingency maker. And if something is contingent, then it has an explanation, a further non-circular explanation for its actualization, because it might have not been actual. And then, so then that's going to require an explanation. Um, and so we're not, this is not like theism versus science. And this is the problem, which is mm -hmm. like the God hypothesis is not an alternative scientific hypothesis like intelligent design. Um, this is a, a strictly a metaphysical hypothesis. And so we're comparing these theories. Um, if Paul is saying that there is some metaphysically necessary or brute contingency that is energy, and I, and I, and I say, well, then there is this beginningless, um, there is this beginningless cause that acts on, on the basis of reasons, like, um, and can indeterministically bring about something. Um, I can then do my theoretical theoretical comparisons and look at the intrinsic likelihood of both theories. Um, but uh, that's not at all what Craig's not, not trying to, to have some theological, um, like cosmological model that he wants the physicists to take. He's just saying like, like we have good philosophical support for saying that if um, physical reality, space, time, and all its constituents and all existing matter is finite and that is the type of thing that requires an explanation and an mm. explanation is going to be something it's going to have to have features that what is explained does not have or else that's going to then be a part of the set that needs to be explained yeah i think that's good and i think we're at a good point to kind of like leave off last um leave off here sorry my brain is just a little bit fried right now um but it's there been so go. much fun and i like paul like I, he seems like a cool guy but it's just like some of these videos where I'm just really not sure um, where he, like, it seems like he's like, it sounds like it's the, it, like, I leave this video and it, it sounds like Paul thinks that like the Kalam's just done and there's no good reason to accept it. And that's just not the case. And like, like, I don't think the Kalam's the best argument, like forgot at all, but I mean, you can defend it a lot better um, 
than just like looking at it from like a five minute YouTube video. So I don't know. That's a little bit of my thoughts and I'm a little scattered, but um, yeah. No, Do you have any thoughts yeah, no, I, I recommend people to read Loke's formulation, um, God and Ultimate Origins, his novel cosmological argument. I think it is the best uh, formulation of the Kalam. If I was to defend the Kalam, I'd use this one, not Greg's. Um, and um this one's going to bypass a lot of the a lot of the uh, uh main objections towards craig's kalam and has um quite a bit of rigorous uh, philosophical support he goes um into his discussion with oppie um where he um uh provides objections to oppie's um idea of uncaused beginnings that you could have an uncaused um beginning uh, um so um that's really good um, and so people should be familiarizing themselves with the best versions of these arguments, um, not a five minute video that's probably meant to be shown in a church, um, to those who are not physicists, those who are not metaphysicians. Um, and, uh, you're going to get much, you're going to get a, a much richer intellectual satisfaction off of this. So. Yeah, but it's been fun, Tim. Thank you so much for joining me. Um, Paul, you're great. You're a cool dude. Um, if you ever want to talk about the Kalam, I'm sure Tim and I'd be down. Um, but yeah, uh, thank you so much, Tim. It's been so much fun. Thank you, everyone who's tuned in. Curity, Susan, Computer Theist, Joshua, um, Salem, everyone else. If you enjoy the channel, uh, please consider subscribing. Go subscribe to Invoking Theism, which is easy because I just added him in the YouTube description so you can just go subscribe that way. Um, if you enjoy the channel, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com slash adhere to apologetics. But Tim, thank you so much, man. You're looking pretty clean, my, my the, by the way, my guy, even though I can't even see your eyes. I know. I know. Yeah, that's how I'm wearing the hat and the way the light, the sun's coming into the room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Have a good one. Uh, God bless. Thanks.